And, and also, thank you to those who helped on decorating the sanctuary. It looks so uh, beautiful for this time of year. Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1? We're going to look at verses 22 and follow that into chapter 2, verse 3 this morning. I'd like to read this passage of Scripture for us, beginning again of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Peter writes, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation." Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And may it do its work in our hearts and in our lives today to produce that imperishable fruit that comes from you as you work in our life and you change us from the inside out. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. David Helm is a pastor, and he tells a story of when he was uh, in middle school. It was back during the years of the Vietnam War. And his dad was the athletic director at Judson College. And many days he would go to Judson College, and he would uh, visit his dad there. He said his uh, dad had a, a window looking out on the Fox River. Judson College is on that. And when he looked out on that river, he saw a man that was down by the river uh, every day. And he asked his dad about this man. It was a young man who had been in the war, and he returned to the States and enrolled at Judson College, really wanting to make a new start in his life. But he would be down there by the river every day taking care of the ducks that were there. He would feed them. When he got into the winter months, he would make sure the ice was cut open or there was a place for the ducks to have the water that was there. And and um, this David asked his dad, why was that? It was a curious thing to him that he would show so much concern for a flock of ducks that were gathered there. And his dad shared this story. He said that he has just returned from the war in Vietnam, and the story is that the ducks saved his life. His unit had been ambushed, and many of his friends had been killed. And while he hadn't been shot, he lay down to look like he had. He hoped that they would go away, but they didn't. The enemy kept coming. Through the fields they came. And they put one more shot in every fallen man to ensure that he was dead. But suddenly a flock of ducks flew overhead. And the attention of the soldiers was diverted. In their excitement they began running after the ducks to shoot at them instead. And in the end they stopped checking the field for men and they left. And that's how the man survived. And now he has a special love for ducks. He loves because he lives. 
You know, that is the message of this passage that we're going to look at today. That we are to love one another because of the grace of God that has changed our life. We love because we live. Peter writes in verse 22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Let that grace of God that has changed your life just overflow in a deep love for one another. This is the fourth quality that Peter has emphasized in this passage. You know, we've looked at three others already that we are called to be hopeful. That means that we're to live in a way where our eyes are toward heaven. We're to be excited about what is to come and what God has prepared for us there. We are also to be holy. We are to live differently than the world around us. We're to say no to sin and temptation and those things that are part of the fallen nature and say yes to Jesus Christ and to live in a way that honors him. We are to be reverent people, God-centered in our lives, in our thinking, in our actions. And now today, we are to be loving, loving in our relationships with one another. In fact, you have heard it before, but we see it so often in Scripture that love is the mark of a Christian. And in this passage, Peter is going to describe what love is like in three ways. He tells us, first of all, that our love must be sincere. It needs to be genuine. Uh, Peter is encouraging these new believers who have come to know Christ. And he's saying, you know, you've, you've grown in Christ. You've heard the word. That word is bearing fruit in your life. And God has changed you. And you're experiencing his grace in your life and your attitude and actions. You've been growing in Christ-likeness and holiness. And all of those things are wonderful things. And the result is that now you do have a sincere love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is real. It is a work of God. You have been born again by the power of God's word. The word sincere that he uses in Greek is the word unhypocritical. Uh, and the word hypocrite in uh, Greek meant to be an actor who wore a mask on the stage. You've probably seen uh, those masks in pictures if you've ever gone to the theater. You know, the masks with the big smile or the big frown on the face. And when an actor wore a mask, you couldn't see his real expression behind that. It was hidden by the mask. And what Peter is saying here is that we are not to be like that as Christians. We're not to put on a mask when we come to church and pretend to be something we are not. We're not to pretend like everything's great and happy if we're really hurting. And we're not to be phony in our relations with one another. Our love is to be genuine. If you try to fake that, I mean, people are just going to see through it. You can't pretend to love when you really don't. And Peter says that our love is to come from our heart. That's where it all begins because God's grace has changed our life. So how does that happen, though? And what is the connection between love and the Word? Because this particular passage ties everything back to the Word of God, this living, this powerful, this enduring Word of God. Well, in verse 23, Peter calls the Word of God an imperishable seed. 
He likens the word of God to a seed. And just like a seed, it has the power to produce life and to bear fruit. You know, when I... uh, you know, look forward to spring and planting some seeds in the garden and like to raise some uh, crops there or vegetables, things like that. You know, I know that what I plant in the ground is what it's going to produce. I mean, if I put a bean seed in the ground, I'm going to get beans. If I plant corn, I'm going to get corn. If I plant lettuce seeds, I'm going to get lettuce. Because within those seeds is the power to produce life according to its nature. And what he's saying is that the Word of God is like that. If the Word of God has taken root in your heart and my heart, it's going to produce fruit. It's going to produce love because that's what God is. God is love. And he teaches us in his Word to love one another. And if his Word has taken root in my heart, the more I grow in the Word, the more I'm going to grow in my understanding of what his will is for my life. And his power is going to change me from the inside out. At our Thanksgiving Eve service, my heart was really blessed by the testimonies that you shared. And so many people, when they stood up and they shared and they gave thanks to God for answer to prayer or for ways that he's worked in their life this year, they also gave thanks to you. Because you came alongside of someone in their trial. You were there when they were grieving and you comforted them. You were there when they were sick and you brought over a meal or you prayed for them. You were there when they were going through difficulties at work or maybe in a relationship or maybe concerns about their children and you stood with them and you prayed. That's the way the body of Christ is to work. That's why we have our mini churches, if you will, our adult Bible fellowships where we encourage people to get together in those smaller settings so that you can get to know a few people well and pray for one another. And when those days come that are hard, that are difficult, when there's trials, you have people that know you and can walk with you through those. And it's not just in the trials, but it's also in the joys and the celebrations and the good things that God is doing too. We need that. And that is the fruit of the Word of God in our life. Does that make sense? It's the Word that produces that. He tells us, secondly, that our love must be active. Love must be active. We are to love one another deeply. Now, that word that's used there, Uh, For love is the word unconditional love. It's the word agape that means unconditional love. And it means that we are to accept people just as they are. It means being patient with one another as we grow in Christ. It is loving others like God loves us. But the other word that he uses there, the word deeply, that's the adverb to describe that, can also be translated as earnestly or fervently. We are to love each other deeply or fervently. And I I like that because it stresses more the action involved in it. The love isn't to be something that we just say. You know, it's not just saying we love someone, but it is showing it in our attitude and in our actions. The actual word there in Greek, actanos, literally means with every muscle strained with every muscle strained. It's like a a weightlifter lifting weights, you know, and he's saying that you should love in that way. 
You should love passionately and fervently, putting your heart and your soul and your strength into it. The Apostle John wrote about that in 1 John 3, 17 and 18, when he said, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. John is stressing that same thing, that love is more than words. Love is shown in deeds. And such love isn't always easy, but it is powerful. It's powerful. Listen to this story that Tony Campolo tells about a teacher named Miss Thompson. Miss Thompson was a conscientious teacher who tried to treat all her students the same. But there was one little boy, though, who was difficult for her even to like. His name was Teddy Stallard. Teddy didn't seem interested in school. He was not an attractive child, and his schoolwork was not very good, and his attitude was no better. In short, there was nothing lovable about Teddy Stallard. Indeed, for some strange reason, Miss Thompson felt a great deal of resentment toward Teddy. She almost enjoyed giving him bad grades. There was something about him that rubbed her the wrong way. And Miss Thompson knew Teddy's background. His school records indicated that in first grade, he had showed some promise, but he had problems at home. In the second grade, his mother had fallen seriously ill, and Teddy started falling behind. In third grade, his mother died, and Teddy was tabbed as a slow learner. In fourth grade, he was far behind, and his teacher noted that, he had, that his father had no interest in Teddy's progress. Miss Thompson knew Teddy's situation, but still there was something about him that made it hard for her to love. Christmas time came, and the boys and girls in Miss Thompson's class brought her some gifts. And to her surprise, among those gifts was a very crudely wrapped present from Teddy. She opened it in front of the other children, and she discovered that there was a kind of gaudy rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing. There was also a bottle of cheap perfume. And sensing that the other children were beginning to smirk and giggle at the simple gift, Miss Thompson had the presence of mind to put on the bracelet and open the perfume. And she put some of the perfume on her wrist and she invited the children to smell it. And she said, doesn't it smell nice? And doesn't this bracelet look lovely? And the children took their cue from her and they began to respond with oohs and ahs. At the end of the school day, Teddy came to Miss Thompson's desk and said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet looks real pretty on you, too. I'm glad you like my presence. And after school that day, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God for forgiveness for her attitude toward Teddy. To make a long story short, from that day forward, Miss Thompson became a new teacher and Teddy Sallard became a new student. Both Teddy's attitude and his grades began to dramatically improve as she showed her love for him. And she believed in him. Well, many years later, Miss Thompson received a letter from Teddy telling her that he would be graduating from high school second in his class. 
It was signed, Love, Teddy Seller. And four years later, she received another letter from Teddy telling her that he was graduating from college, first in his class. And four years later, there was another letter to inform her that the young fellow who once gave her that gaudy bracelet with some of the stones missing and the cheap bottle of perfume was now Theodore Stallard, M.D. And also, he was getting married. And his father had passed away by now. And he asked, Miss Thompson, would you be willing to sit where my mother would have sat for the wedding if she were alive? You are all the family I have now, wrote Teddy. And Miss Thompson sat proudly where Teddy's mother would have been seated for that wedding. That moment of sensitivity and compassion many years before had earned her that right. It's a powerful story that illustrates what love can do. And that sometimes in those difficult situations, you know, where we may not see what God is doing, he calls us to love from the heart and to show that in our actions as well as in our words. And because she did that, a life was changed. And I think about that for those of you that are teachers in the public schools or that are Sunday school teachers here. I think about those that are youth leaders who work with the students. And I talk to our Justin, our youth pastor, and how many of those kids don't come from our church. And they're coming because, you know, whether it's after school or to our Wednesday night ministries or things like that, they come because they sense something here. And they're coming because of the relationships and God is doing a work in their life. And when we pray and when we reach out in love, God works. And he is changing hearts and lives. I want to commend you. I really believe that you are doing a good job in that area. And I hear the stories from others who tell me of how much this act or that action is meant or when you have demonstrated Christ's love in that way, it is such a huge blessing to the people in our church and to those in our community that have experienced it. Thank you. And keep doing that. Keep demonstrating the love of Christ in your actions and in your commitment to others. And thirdly, Peter tells us here that our love must be growing. And we see that in verses 1 to 3. He tells us that God's love is what changes us. And because of his love that has changed our heart, we are to rid ourselves of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Each of these qualities that Peter mentions here are really unloving. They're the opposite of what love is. Love doesn't delight in someone's misfortune. It doesn't wish them harm. Love wants their best. And so we put aside any malice that might be in our heart. And love doesn't deceive people or mislead them. Love speaks the truth. Love isn't phony. Love genuinely cares about people. And love doesn't envy what others have. Love delights in God's blessings that come into the lives of those that we know. And love doesn't gossip or slander or put others down. Love builds up and encourages. And love looks for ways that it can minister and help others. 
That's what Peter was calling the early church to. And that, that's what he calls us to, to be those kind of individuals that put into action our love for one another. Sometimes we slip and fall, though, don't we? Sometimes we miss the mark and we see that in our own life and it is disappointing. Recently, I've been reading a biography about Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson was a graduate of Princeton University, and his father was a minister. Wilson described himself as a man of faith. He was a man who believed in Jesus and wanted that to show in his life, but there were times when in office he would slip. One of the areas that Woodrow Wilson really struggled in was in race relationships, He had grown up in the South, and he was actually born before the Civil War. And so as a teenager, a young, you know, kind of early teens, he was living through that time in the South during the war. And many of those values began to shape him, and he had to work hard to try to overcome those prejudices that he had in the area of race. But on one occasion... A group, a delegation had come to meet him. This was on November 12, 1914. And a man who came was William Monroe Trotter. And he opened up and he just kind of took a shot at Wilson and he said, you know, two years ago when you were elected as president, we thought that you were going to be the second Lincoln, that you were really going to do something for Afro-American leaders who supported you, but now we see that nothing has happened. And they were greatly disappointed. And they said it, plain as could be. And Woodrow Wilson got mad. And he said, nobody's ever talked to me like that in my office. And he lost his temper and he threw him out. Well, he knew he had mishandled the situation very badly. And he spoke to one of the members of his cabinet and he said, I was a fool in the way that I acted. I lost my temper, and I played the fool. And to explain a little bit of what else was going on in Wilson's life at that time, one of the reasons perhaps for his outburst was that his wife Ellen had recently died. And the war in Europe was beginning, and his mind was on other things. He was under tremendous pressure at that time. But to his credit, he apologized And he went out of his way to make things right. He invited them back and he spoke with them and he shared his apology. You know, when we sin, when we miss the mark in showing love and instead we say or do something that's hurtful, we need to confess it to God and ask his forgiveness, but we also need to go to our brothers and sisters and ask forgiveness from those that we have hurt or offended and make things right. You know, on the other side, what Peter is talking about here, too, is how we need to continue to grow in our relationship with God. And we do that through the Word. And he tells us in verse 2 that like newborn babies, we should crave pure spiritual milk. That milk is the Word of God. And he tells us we should crave it so that we may grow up in our salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You've experienced something of His grace. You've come to know Christ in a meaningful way. Now, continue to grow in that relationship with Him. And just like a mother's milk provides a baby with everything that it needs to grow in those initial months and early years, 
In that same way, the Word of God provides everything that we need to grow in our relationship with Him. So enjoy it. Delight in it. Read it. Listen to it. Study it. You know, as an application, I want to encourage you this morning to set a goal in the new year coming up. And I would encourage all of you, if you've not done this before, to make it your goal to have a regular time when you meet with the Lord to read the Scripture and to pray. And maybe you want to take the step of reading through the Bible in a year and, and make that a goal that you have. You know, if you want to do that, I mean, there are a number of tools today that can, can really help you in that regard. Uh, one of those tools that I used uh, many times in the years when I was just starting to read through the Bible on my own was I used a subscription to the Daily Walk. It's a great guide that can help you uh, when you're reading through the Scripture because one of the things that happens for people is they get in the Old Testament and they go, I don't know what this is talking about. I mean, <laughs> you may struggle in certain texts or passages, and one of the things the Daily Walk does is it explains everything as you're going through it so you can understand what you're reading. Uh, you can get those. This is through the Walk Through the Bible ministry at walkthrough.org. Um, another thing that you can do is you can use a reading plan. And we have some of those that we set out for the start of the year that you can check off what you're reading each day and make your way through it. And I found as I've done that, that, you know, I try to read through the Bible in a year, but if I don't make it in a year, that's okay. Takes me a little longer, that's fine. Just keep going, just stay at it. Because there are times when things come up or life happens or you get a little bit behind. It's okay, just keep going. Another tool that can help is if you have a study Bible, reading the notes that go along with each of the chapters or passages can also help you to understand again what you are reading and to help you go deeper in the Word. Because Peter is saying that that is absolutely essential to our growth as a Christian. If we're going to grow in holiness, we need to understand what God says. If we're going to grow in love for one another, then that word of God needs to take root in our life. I just find that Peter is so practical here on the things that he is saying. How are we to live in a fallen world with trials and suffering? How are we to make it in terms of facing the temptations that can come or the pressures that we feel in this world? How do we live for Christ? Well, these four points that he has emphasized are so good that we are to live with hope, with our eyes on heaven and what is to come. We are to walk in holiness because God our Father is holy. And we're to honor him with reverence in our heart and to live that kind of God-centered life that looks to him in everything that we do. And finally, we are to love as brothers and sisters in Christ, just as he loves us. And we do that so that the world might come to know Jesus as their Savior too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come before you, We've asked you to forgive us for our sins and to examine our hearts so that we might live in a way that's pleasing to you. And I pray that you would bless the hearing of your word and that it would take root in our life, just like Peter talked about in this passage, that that imperishable seed would do its work in us and bear fruit 
much fruit for your honor and glory. Help us, Father, to love one another, and I pray that when we see you at work in our lives or when someone else has touched our heart and blessed us, that we would give thanks to God and thank them for their kindness, their mercy, their love. And Jesus, may you continue to grow our church so we might become all that you want us to be. Help us to be a light for you in this community, and we ask it in your name. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction today as we close our service? We don't have a final song, but listen to these words of Scripture as we uh, conclude our service. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.